Hi folks, we want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerbinsville Christian Church. And we are in 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. We've been doing for a while now a survey through the Old Testament and we're up to these historical books. We've entitled this section of our study, Israel's Kings and Prophets. And today we're going to turn our attention to a southern kingdom king or a Judean king uh, by the name of Jehoshaphat. And he was a godly man, although we're going to see that he made some mistakes as well. Now, Jehoshaphat is not new to us. When we were looking at Ahab, we see that he went north into the northern kingdom to have an alliance with Ahab, especially when Ahab was fighting the Syrians and lost and, of course, paid with his own life. But we're going to look at what 1 Kings chapter 22, just a few verses, says about Jehoshaphat, but we're also going to focus primarily on 2 Chronicles chapter 17. We've already mentioned chapter 18, so we're not going to look at that, but then chapter 19, verse 2, through chapter 20, verse 37. So again, there's a lot of material here, so we're not going to read the passages of Scripture unless we need to, to make a particular point. But we're just going to kind of go through the information since we're just doing a survey. So let's, let's get started. We're going to focus, first of all, on Jehoshaphat becoming king. So Jehoshaphat uh, became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab's reign in Israel. So basically, when Ahab, during his fourth year as king, that's when Jehoshaphat became king over Judah in the southern kingdom. Now, when Jehoshaphat became king after his father Asa, he strengthened Judah against Israel. So, first of all, if you remember, up until this point, there's this ongoing conflict between the northern and southern kingdom. And when Jehoshaphat becomes king, he starts out his kingdom not entering into this alliance as we saw last uh, week, but rather he starts out reinforcing the kingdom of Judah against any possible attack from the northern kingdom which has basically been happening since Jeroboam took over, and we see that in the scripture already. So what happens as far as his reinforcement? Well, he reinforced cities of Judah and set up garrisons throughout Judah. Now, you have to remember, when we talk about strengthening the area, they did warfare, yes, on the plains, but they also reinforced their city so that if an army came, the cities could withstand a siege or withstand uh, what was happening until another army came and rescued them. So he did that as well as he set up garrison of troops throughout the southern kingdom of Judah. He also placed garrisons with troops in cities of Ephraim that Asa had taken from Israel. So in the last war, against Israel when Asa was king. Remember, he beat the northern kingdom and then resulting in that he took cities in Ephraim, which is one of the tribes 
of the ten tribes that split away, he took those cities and they became a part of the southern kingdom. So basically what Jehoshaphat is doing is he's placing more soldiers there to make sure that he holds on to those cities, even though they are in territory that should have been a part of the northern kingdom. Now, it's interesting. Scripture is very clear here that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he did not seek the Baals and walked in the ways of David, his father. Actually, it would be his grandfather, or great-great-great-grandfather, many times, but his father, David. So the Lord was with him because Jehoshaphat is seeking to do what's right. He's not walking and seeking after the Baals, which I'll just be honest with you, this is the entrapment for the children of Israel. They cannot stop seeking after the gods of the Canaanite people. But Jehoshaphat doesn't do that, and he decides to walk in the ways of David. He sought after God and refused to walk according to the ways of Israel. In particular, he didn't want to operate the way the northern kingdom did. And if you remember, we've looked at that. That has resulted in God's judgment upon the northern kingdom and telling them that they would be destroyed and taken away. So the Lord established his rule over the kingdom, and Jehoshaphat had riches in abundance. So this is an amazing thing. So he, he establishes his rule. He's, he's the sure ruler of the southern kingdom. But God also blesses him by providing money, gold and silver and precious stones in abundance. He basically is payrolling, you could say, Jehoshaphat. Now, it's interesting to me because Jehoshaphat's going to do something that we haven't seen the others do. Jehoshaphat sent leaders and Levites throughout Judah to teach them the law of the Lord. So basically, he's sending leaders and these Levites to go and educate the people in the law, which is, as we've already noted, is the first five books of what is our Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And they are to go and educate the people in the law concerning how to follow the Lord. And he does this. This is interesting that he's done. He's the first leader that we've seen so far that has taken the time to do this. And notice the result. The fear of the Lord fell on the surrounding nations and Judah was at peace. So remember, they've been in constant conflict from their neighbors, the Philistines, Moab. Ammon right now is a vassal state of Judah, but excuse me, Edom is a vassal state. Ammon is another one who is an, an issue that is a problem. You've got the Syrians, you've got Arabs, you've got all these different problems that could arise from all of these different places, these surrounding nations. But the fear of the Lord fell upon them, so they didn't dare try to attack Judah. And so Judah was at peace during this time. There was no war. Jehoshaphat had much property and a large army stationed throughout Judah. So, I mean, we're talking about the kingdom of Judah at a very optimal point in its history. Nothing like this has happened really since Solomon was king. 
Now, it's not to the grandeur and to the establishment of rule that Solomon had, but it's definite that there is really a blessing happening with Jehoshaphat. Now, when we come to chapter 19, we're going to focus on the appointment of judges throughout Judah. But first, the first few verses are going to talk about a rebuke that happens. So what we see happening in chapter 19, that will take place after chapter 18, which we referred to last week. That was the alliance with Ahab, where he went up and made this alliance with Ahab and tried to help him in that battle that did not go right and which ultimately resulted in Ahab's death in their battle with Syria. So when you come to chapter 19, verse 1 tells you that he returned safely. Well, verse 2 through verse 3 tells us of a rebuke that happens. And so here's what happens. When Jehoshaphat returned safely from his visit with Ahab, he was confronted by a prophet so when he comes back, a prophet of God confronts him, meets him. The prophet questioned Jehoshaphat helping those who hated the Lord. All right, so this is interesting. The prophet is going to tell it like it is. And so he's going to refer to the rulers and the people of the northern kingdom as those who hate the Lord. In particular, he's talking about going to help Ahab because Ahab sought to kill, through Jezebel, his wife, sought to kill the prophets of the Lord. And so the prophet is questioning Jehoshaphat, this godly king, why are you going to help those who hate the Lord, who hated the Lord? So here's what happens. The prophet proclaimed that the Lord's wrath was upon him. So basically, he is proclaiming judgment on Jehoshaphat for doing this. There's going to be problems. God's wrath is upon you. What happens next in verse 3 is even more amazing. However, good things were found in the king since he removed the idols from the land. Basically, it's, it's very clear that he removed the wooden images or the poles, that despicable thing, Asheroth, from the land. So, yes, God's wrath is upon you for doing this. There's going to be judgment. But you've done good. You have some good in you because you have been trying to turn the people to the Lord, removing these idols from the land. Now, what follows after this, and this may have been because of the rebuke, Jehoshaphat sets up a system of judges throughout the land. Now, we've talked about judges before. The institution of judges with the Israelite people took place in the wilderness when Moses, remember he used to settle all the cases by himself. He was exhausted, exasperated, went from morning until night, and his father-in-law, Jethro, said, hey, this is not the way to do it. Set up a system of judges so that they can handle the smaller cases, and therefore you need only handle the more extreme cases. And this system of judges took place. And then you saw how these judges, that inst institution took place up until the time 
of the setting forth of the first king. There were judges who judged the people and settled the issues. Now, Jehoshaphat is again setting up this system of judges to judge the kingdom of Judah. So I want you to notice a few things here, what we see here from verses 4 through 11. So Jehoshaphat went out among the people of Judah and brought them back to the Lord. So he's making an effort here to bring the people back to the Lord. Now part of that is they've got to have a structure to deal with things. So he appointed judges throughout the land in the fortified cities. Now these fortified cities would be throughout all of Judah and Benjamin. That was the southern kingdom. And so there would be these strategic cities, these fortified cities throughout. And so in these fortified cities, he placed judges to handle the affairs of the people, to judge the people. He told the judges to take heed since they are not judging for man, but rather the Lord instead. So he's telling them, look, you're not doing this for man. You're not judging the people for man. You are doing this in service of the Lord. That's sometimes something you have to be reminded. You're not doing this for yourself. You're not doing this for man or have these people like you or whatever. You're doing this because you're serving God. They were to judge in the fear of the Lord and not by sin or the taking of bribes. So what motivated them was fearing God. It's not sin that they were going to do what's wrong or by the taking of bribes. Well, I'll go in this judgment. How much can you pay me? That's what we see here. Now, he then set up a higher group of leaders in Jerusalem. We'll see that here. He set up a council of Levites, priests, and elders to judge the severe cases from Judah. Sort of like a supreme council or a supreme court, so to speak, that when the most extreme cases from the kingdom were there, they would be brought to Judah, to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, they would be judged by this council made up of Levites, priests, and elders. Concerning religious issues, the high priest was over the council. The high priest, or it's mentioned here in the text, the chief priest, was over the council, directing the council when they were to decide religious issues concerning the law, concerning offenses against the law or offenses against God. It also tells you in the text that concerning matters of the kingdom, there was another leader who was set up to guide the council in dealing with issues concerning the king and the, and the issues concerning the kingdom itself. Now, after these things, here's where the problem happens. We get into chapter 20, verses 1 to 30, and we're going to see that there is an attack against Jehoshaphat. Now, I need to recognize that I think this is connected to what the prophet said earlier in verse 2 when he said, would you help the wicked, those who hate the Lord, the wrath of God has come upon you. Because before this, remember, it was mentioned, Jehoshaphat had peace from his enemies. So one 
way that God uses to discipline his children is he brings out brings in outside forces to bring about judgment. And so we see that happening in chapter 20 with an alliance that's taking place. So after these things, Moab and Ammon, along with their allies, came to battle Jehoshaphat. Now, the New King James says Mount Seir. Now, Mount Seir is Edom. So it wasn't the Edomites, because they're a vassal kingdom, but there were a group of people that lived among the Edomites. They were primarily in Mount Seir. We're going to see their name here in a moment, but they were Arab, an Arab Bedouin type people. So these folks come to battle Jehoshaphat, to battle Jehoshaphat. So they have this alliance. Now news came to Jehoshaphat about the enemy, and he sought the Lord in fear as he called for a fast. So news is coming. Hey, there's this great multitude of Moabites and Ammonites and these folks from Mount Seir, and they're coming to attack us. There's a multitude of them, and Jehoshaphat is afraid. I mean, that's what happens. You get afraid when you hear there's this attack coming. So what does he do? He calls the nation, he calls Judah to fast. Fast before the Lord and entreat the Lord. So Judah gathered and sought the Lord as they asked for help from the Lord. So Judah, what do they do? They respond to the call to fast. So all of Judah gathers, they pray, and they seek God asking for deliverance. Wow, this is a proper response, isn't it? Now, How did they get to this point? I think they got to this point because of a couple of things. Number one, Jehoshaphat sought to turn Judah back to the Lord. And number two, he taught them the law. What do you see in the law? Well, throughout the law, the first five books, you see the salvation of God and his protection of his people, his children. So what do they do when they face a situation? What, they don't try to figure it out on their own? They're seeking the Lord and they're trying to seek him to help them and bring help for them in their time of need. So Jehoshaphat, and there's most of the text, is a prayer, prayed before the assembly at the temple for the Lord's deliverance. Now here's what he does. He just doesn't say, oh God, help us. He does this, God, you did this in the past. God, you are able to do anything and you have delivered us and we come to you and ask you to help us. I would encourage you to go to chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles and read Jehoshaphat's prayer. He is going to God for help, and notice how he goes to God for help. He reminds God of who he is and his promise to help Israel, to help Judah. So here's what happens. The text tells us that there was a Levite there. He's named in the passage. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon a Levite who proclaimed that Judah should not fear. All right, so here, here again, let me just remind you, in these times, God's Holy Spirit would come upon people to perform a certain task. It's not like now where after Pentecost, each and every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. In this instant, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a Levite to bring a message. And the message is, don't be afraid. Because that's what they are, right? They're afraid of this multitude of an army of the Moabites 
to, of the Ammonites and of these folks from Mount Seir coming to attack them. Now he stated that when they went to meet the animal, excuse me, when they went to meet the enemy on the next day, they would not need to fight. I, that, that's that's amazing, isn't it? Here they are. God, help us, deliver us from these people. God says, I'm going to be there. Don't be afraid. And when you go out to battle tomorrow, you're not even going to need to fight. You're going to be okay. Don't be afraid. You're not even going to need to lift a hand to take care of this problem. They need only position themselves and watch the salvation of the Lord. Basically, here's what he's saying. You only need to just position yourselves to get a good view of what I'm going to do in rescuing you and bringing you salvation. That's all you got to do. March out tomorrow. Don't worry. You don't need to fight. You just need to position yourselves and watch what I'm going to do. That's what this Levite said as the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So here's what happens. Jehoshaphat and all Judah responded by bowing their faces to the ground in worship of the Lord. So how did they respond? They responded by getting on their faces before God and acknowledging that the Lord is in control and they worshiped him. It's awesome. So on the next day, Jehoshaphat and singers led Judah to face the enemy. Now, this is amazing, and this is called faith. Well, what should we do? Uh, I think we're going to go out to battle. Should we have our big, mighty men up front? No, we're going to take singers with us, and they're going to lead us in a worship service as we go to meet the enemy. And that's what he did. He got singers to guide them on the way down to lead them and praising the Lord through worship as they go to face the enemy. This is amazing. Where's their confidence? Their confidence is in the Lord. At the moment of the battle, the Lord caused the enemy to turn on each other. Remember, there's three different groups here. There's Moab, there's Ammon, and there's this group from Mount Seir, this group of Arab Bedouins. And they're called the Meunites, okay? So the Meunites. So Ammon and Moab attacked and utterly destroyed the Meunites. So here's what happens first. They go out to battle, and I don't know what caused it. The text doesn't tell you. Only You don't need to know everything. Only what you need to know is God caused them to fight each other. But Moab and Ammon turn on their allies, the Meunites, who, who are from Mount Seir in Edom, and they utterly destroy them. So here they are, a group coming against Judah, but they fight each other, and one part of the group is utterly destroyed by the other two parts. doesn't end there. Here's what else the text tells you. After destroying the Midianites, Ammon and Moab attack each other. So once they wipe out this third guy, now they fight each other. You don't know what's going on in their mind. You don't know why. But the Lord caused this to happen, where they are trying to destroy each other. And that's exactly what they do. Something comes upon them where they attack each other. And Israel doesn't, excuse me, Judah doesn't have to do anything. They just need to watch what's happening. 
This is what's amazing. And so here's what happened. The slaughter of the battle was so great that Judah could not carry all the spoil away. This is amazing. This is what happens. Of course, you know, when you talk about the spoil, you know, you talk about moving an army so they would bring food supplies and other things with them. And we've seen before, they even bring their treasures with them. So you got these three armies that are there. They got all these supplies and everything with them. What happens is on the day of the battle, they kill each other. They slaughter each other. And then Judah, all they have to do is come in and take the spoil and take it with them. And guess what? There's so much spoil from these three armies, they can't carry it all away. This is what's amazing, to carry it all the way. So guess what happens? Judah and the and Jude, excuse me, Jehoshaphat and Judah returned to Jerusalem rejoicing and singing. So they returned rejoicing and singing, just like they came down rejoicing and singing. They're going back rejoicing and singing, except when they're going back rejoicing and singing, they're carrying all the spoil from the battle that they got, and they didn't have to do anything for it. God turned the enemy against itself. Now, here's what happens. Fear came upon all the nations because of what the Lord had done to the enemy. So once again, word gets out real quick in the area. There's this battle. They came against Judah, and they were destroyed. The, the God of Judah is awesome, it's, and, and they, protect, they didn't even have to do anything, and they were slaughtered. And fear comes upon all the nations. So Judah was quiet because the Lord gave Jehoshaphat peace and rest from the nations. So the Lord was quiet. Judah was quiet again. Judah was quiet. The nation of Judah because the Lord had given them peace. Now, we move on then to the final record, which we're going to see in 1 Kings verse, chapter 22, verses 42 to 50 as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 31 to 37. Pretty much a lot of the record is the same, although there are some details in Chronicles that you don't see in Kings that kind of fill in about really the overview and the end of Jehoshaphat's life. So here's one of the things that we see as an overview. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he ruled Judah for 25 years. So that means he, he was 60 years old when he died. Now, folks, that's a pretty long age at this time in history. So he was 35 years old when he became king, and he ruled Judah for 25 years. He walked in the ways of his father Asa, but he did not remove the high places in Judah. All right, so I want you to notice, every time we talk about these good kings, they'll talk about the fact that they followed the Lord, they walked in the ways of their father, meaning their godly father, or in the ways of David, but it always points out that they failed to do one thing, and that is they failed to remove the high places. What was the high place? Well, it was a place of worship set on hills throughout Judah where people would go and, and, and some of them, what they would do is worship the Lord, make a sacrifice to the Lord there. A lot of times what ended up happening with the high places, they became places of idols. 
Now remember, he was removing the idols, but he didn't remove the high places. He didn't remove the high places. It also says that Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel during his days. Now we saw that in chapter 18, which we talked about last week, where he made peace with King Ahab. He finished the removal of the sexually perverted and prostitutes from the land. And what do you mean he finished? Well, we know that this was started, the removal of these people were started under his father, King Asa. But Jehoshaphat finished the removal of these folks from the land. The next thing I want you to see is, is that Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to sell to Ophir for gold, but they did not sail. Now that's what kings will tell you. He made these merchant ships to sail to Ophir for gold, but they didn't sell. Chronicles tells you why they didn't sail. When you come to Chronicles, it tells you this. This was because he made a treaty with Hosiah, king of Israel. Now, Hosiah is the son of Ahab, who, by friends, is wicked, just like his dad was wicked. And again, we already saw that he was rebuked one time before for making peace or going up to visit those who hated the Lord. We see here that he's made a treaty with Hosiah, king of Israel. Through a prophet, the Lord proclaimed that he would destroy his works, and guess what? The ships were wrecked. They didn't sail. So a prophet comes and says, because you made a treaty with this guy, talking about Isaiah, your works, meaning these ships, are going to be destroyed, and so they didn't sail. They never brought the gold from Ophir that he was wanting. Remember, that whole concept of traveling to Ophir for gold that was started in the kingdom of Solomon. So Jehoshaphat obviously is trying to do what his great-great-grandfather Solomon did. Jehoshaphat died and was buried with his father in Jerusalem. So he was buried with his fathers in Jerusalem, in their tomb. Now, his son, Jehoram, became king and ruled in his place. So Jehoram now becomes king and ruled in his place. Now, in various places in these two texts, you're going to see that the writer and the chronicler list where the record of Jehoshaphat was written. So Chronicles will mention the book of Kings. Kings will also mention where the record of Jehoshaphat is and so I just want you to be aware of this. Now, next week we're going to go back to the northern kingdom because we're going to talk about Hosiah. But after we get done with that, we're going to talk about Hosiah and Elijah. We're going to mention Elijah for the last time next week in our lesson. But two weeks from now, we're going to probably get to the concerning the issue of Jehoram. Or at some point we'll get to Jehoram. And we're going to see that even though he has a godly father, who seeks after the Lord, Jehoram doesn't follow in the ways of his father and he does his own thing. And that results in major problems that will have implications into the future for Judah. And we're going to talk about it at that time. Now, I hope you have a good week. 
and uh, we'll see you next week. Until that time, take care.